Hello and welcome to the Cinema in Seconds podcast. This is the podcast where we look at small moments in great movies. And because... We're keeping it. I keep forgetting to introduce us. Okay. That's fine. This is one. This is like Calculon. We only do one take and that's it. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I am your host, Ian. And I'm Daniel. And uh, this week, because we're such big sports fans, we are going to be talking about sports movies. Yeah. To borrow a phrase from Conan O'Brien, uh, we don't watch sports. We don't understand sports. We don't even particularly like sports. So who better to talk about them than us? <laughs> <laughs> so what is your uh, sports background are you is there oh any, god anything that you're into not not real sports i mean if you want to get like traditional about it i i have had my occasional flirtations with professional wrestling as those who follow the youtube channel might know um but i i there is there's definitely athleticism to that but what i like about it is like it as storytelling as theater i don't right. you know i don't yeah, I like I tend to gravitate towards the performers that actually have like legitimate athletic chops, but that again is in service of character. Um and then that's really it. Like I tried to get into hockey when I was young because, you know, I was a Canadian boy, I should. And all my friends, not all my friends, but a lot of my friends did. And I remember to the point that like my dad had this old book on like the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs and I started reading it. And, you know, doing this research, essentially, which is kind of weird, but, you know, and then would sit down to watch a game and I'm like, this is boring. I want to watch cartoons. <laughs> so I, it never really took. I enjoy watching basketball, I think, because it's high scoring. So it keeps my attention. But other than that, not really a sports guy. How about you? Yeah, when I was a kid, I, I was a big, big Blue Jays fan and, and I liked hockey as much as much as the next kid, I guess. Uh, CFL, I'm still a CFL fan because I'm from Saskatchewan, right? So the Rough Riders are pretty big here. Mm. And then basically that's it. I watched the World Cup of Soccer every four years and that's that's my sports. Well, you have much more legitimate sports credentials than I do. <laughs> well, there you in, go. In terms of interests, you know, that's why you're, this is why it's, you're the host you introduce, you know, you're the expert. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But we yeah. do know movies, so why don't we talk about sports movies? Yes. Even then, I'm not actually, I don't actually watch that many sports I mean, movies. a lot of sports movies are kind of really bad, so that makes it difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, and even the ones that are good, like there's some, I chose two movies that are kind of exceptions within sports movies because they're kind of their own specific subgenre, but we'll get into that. But even like good sports movies, with some exceptions, tend to adhere to certain like very corny sentimental you know right. for the love of the game type stuff which can be really good but there's not that much variety in the type of sports movies you'll see or maybe i'm wrong maybe like hardcore sports movie fans are like no there's a, there's a vast trove of grand experimentation within but i'm not super familiar with that so the point is is if you are a big sports fan we're just going to disappoint you this episode <laughs> possibly yes especially if you're interested in like connecting insights between mediums um right. <laughs> we're not going to have that <clears throat> yeah, that's okay though it, it, an outsider's perspective is just as valuable that's right we'll make it work all right so who should start today do you, do you i can start? i can Normally start us off, off. Okay. 
Yeah, why not? Um, so my first, both of my moments come from boxing movies, um, which is why like I highlight that as a specific subgenre because yes, it is a sport, but I think when people think of like sports movies, they think of team sports. Right. Um, and boxing is obviously like a one-on-one uh, environment. So, which I think is part of why it has in general a richer cinematic legacy than a lot of other sports because by its nature, it really tends to focus on like one key protagonist. Um, and I think also by its nature, the type of uh, athleticism that boxers engage in is innately cinematic. And when you can put a camera right into the ring, you can do some uh, pretty amazing stuff. So not to say other sports don't also, can also look amazing when rendered on film, but there's something about boxing that really loans itself to uh, a cinematic presentation and a film structure. So my first... That. My first pick comes from Raging Bull, back to talking about Mr. Martin Scorsese. <laughs> um, and it's kind of a cheat because the scene is actually a very big moment, arguably the biggest in the film, which is um, what we might call Lamada's Last Stand, which is the scene where his final fight with his rival, Sugar Ray Robinson, I don't know if it was their final fight in real life, but it certainly is in the film. Um, and Ray just unloads on Lamada. And as the fight goes on, it becomes like, it's not a fight. It's like an animalistic sacrifice where Robinson just destroys Jake and it's completely one-sided. And towards the end, Jake's just like hanging against the rope, getting his face battered. Blood is spraying everywhere. There's these really uh, uh, <laughs> expressive uses of slow motion and blood. And, a sh- and one shot of a slow motion punch landing on Lamada, and then it cuts to a very quick shot of blood splattering on like the front row watching which is an amazing contrast of speeds, but so huge moment. And then Lamada, as he's like leaving the ring, he makes this whole, you never got me down Ray speech, arguably the defining scene of the film, or at least the one that most characterizes Jake's personality. Like, and if you could boil him down to a single, single moment, it's that, but specifically what I want to talk about is the shot that ends the scene after Lamada has made his standoffish, you never got me down Ray speech. And he's taken away by his, his coach and his managers and such. And Sugar Ray Robinson is one and he's celebrating. Um, the camera is in the center of the ring. And it kind of just pans around the environment. And a lot of the sound goes out and it's very quiet. And as it's panning along the ropes, it comes to a section of rope that is just completely drenched in Jake LaMotta's blood. So you have these very, and it's, it's a black and white film. So you have this very stark contrast of these white lines across the ring and this stark black pit in the center um and the blood's kind of dripping down still very slowly um i love this moment for a couple of different reasons one just as a sheer representation of a violent act i think it's really impactful all the more so because at this point there's nothing technically violent on screen it's it's just some blood um but you really feel the the sort of weight of the catastrophic event you've witnessed but I also think it's it's really indicative of the turning point that the film is at, where at this point, Jake's lost the title. We then move into the final stretch of the film where he gains a ton of weight and he's this kind of pathetic shell of what he used to be. Um, he's running this really sleazy nightclub and then that gets taken away from him. So then he's doing like really awful stand-up bits in you know, very sus- suspect looking clubs. Um, and just this really, really extended, pathetic downfall. And this is kind of the last moment of him, of his glory days, 
the irony of that being for anyone who's seen the film, Jake LaMotta is a reprehensible person. He is one of the, (laughs) yeah, I know you're not a fan of this movie. Um, He's one of the most awful human beings that has ever been the star of a film. All the more so, it's all the more fascinating because he's a real person whose accomplishments are are not nothing, but they're not so grand that there needed to be a movie about him. And yet he gets this really in-depth look and this really unflattering, scathing depiction. But something I find really interesting is that despite how horrible he is, he's very compelling to watch. And part of that is because it's directed by Martin Scorsese, who is good at making films. Part of that is it's Robert De Niro, and he's an actor who... Amidst his many strengths, he's also, I think, very good at just drawing an audience in and um, creating empathy for his characters, even when he's playing less than ideal people. But I think part of it is that he, Jake LaMotta, the character, for as horrible as he is, there is a sort of core passion and talent to him that I do think is rather compelling that despite the fact that he's this horrible person he is this kind of amazing athlete and physically he's such a strong presence that there's a magnetic quality to him that in spite of everything you don't necessarily root for him but you or at least I want to see what happens and that really changes after this scene once he gets this pummeling from Sugar Ray Robinson he's never the same Jake he's never the great amazing boxer uh he's just the horrible cruel person and but without any spark in his life either and I find that that shot of the blood on the ropes is like a perfect way to visualize this idea of like Jake leaving a part of himself behind that he's never getting back Um, and even the idea and this this part was actually something that a student of mine had made this observation in a tutorial years ago the fact that it's like this one section of the rope you can almost see it as like a timeline of his life and then once you get to this splotch that's you know the end uh, that's the turning point i'm like yeah that's really huh. good uh <laughs> one day i'm gonna say yeah. that on a podcast <laughs> um and here we are but i just think it, it's such a it's such a perfect visual uh, visualization of that idea and it's so simple because raging bull it scorsese has, has said it's it's a movie that he put everything in of himself into as if it was the last movie he'd ever make and there's a certain grandiose quality to it and yet this little moment is so impactful because it is so simple. It's just a pan to some ropes that are that have blood on them. And that's it. And it feels, it, it's got such weight to it. Uh, yeah, I love, 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 love that scene. And as a cap to a dramatic set piece, you, you, can't, you can't do better. Wow. I like that idea of the, the turning point and... The, I really like when you said he's leaving a part of himself behind that. That's perfect. Yeah. I'm not a fan of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I be, I just can't, I just don't find it watchable like you do. I just, I just can't cheer for this guy. I don't like watching him, but that being said, this isn't very interesting movie for me because even though I personally hate it, I admire it right? I admire what Scorsese is doing with it, and I can see the talent that goes into it, and it's a gorgeous movie. Like, pretty much every boxing scene in this movie looks amazing, and so when we're talking about using the photography to make a statement like that, like the blood on the ropes, I'm not surprised by that, because I think Scorsese is 
like he is the master of his craft in this film there's no denying that mm-hmm. because i keep i keep every time i see that opening scene where he's just dancing in the in the ring i want to like this movie so bad <laughs> but then i just i just don't then you watch it and you're like yeah. oh my god <laughs> this guy's a dick <laughs> yeah. he's maybe the most awful person to ever be the star of a film he, um yeah <laughs> really which yeah i mean even in the pantheon of uh like despicable movie protagonists your scarlett o'hara's for example your daniel Plainviews, mm-hmm. something about jake is unseemly in a way that those others aren't maybe it's because he's a real person i yeah, don't know might be i don't he, he um, just seems it seems really raw with him yeah there's like mm-hmm. scarlett o'hara seems like she's still a character and you can yeah she's surrounded in the yeah. artifice of old hollywood right and Daniel Plainview, too, even though it's a, a modern film, it's a very theatrical performance. It's great, but you're always aware you're watching a performance. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, in some ways, it's part of what makes the film in and of itself compelling is almost like, or maybe not compelling is the right word, but interesting and worth pondering is this notion that like the film itself is kind of a riddle in as much as why is this character given this level of grandiose treatment not that the film glorifies him as i really don't think it does it's very upfront about who jake is but it isn't necessarily wallowing in look how awful this guy is either it's 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 very much letting an audience grapple with it and come to terms with it and uh, i'm reminded of that anecdote of the producers confronting scorsese and asking why would you make a film about this character? He's a cockroach. And Robert De Niro just like very simply saying he's not a cockroach. And that it, that's it. And there's no, there's no elaboration to that because of course De Niro is not one for talking, but there's something so like, I find really interesting about that phrase and that way of like defending him of just saying like, not to defend who he was, but to justify why, uh, this is someone who is worthy of, of screen treatment and there's something very human about that. So um, yeah, I hope I've convinced you to give the film another chance where you can continue to dislike it. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, there you go. We got a uh, Scorsese's back. <laughs> mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. brought him back. <clears throat> Perfect. He'll never be gone from the show. <laughs> okay. Let's get a little bit more saccharine. Let's uh let's talk baseball. Now I do kind of feel like this one is a cheat because we're gonna talk about Field of Dreams. So it's not it's not a baseball movie in the sense of you're following the team or anything like that, but baseball is definitely used as a um a driving force in the movie, especially when you're thinking about its place in American history and the nostalgia attached to it. Yeah, it, it does play a huge role, so I think it fits. The moment I'm going to pick is actually going to be a pretty small moment, but it's always one that it's one of those moments where you think of the film. It's one of the first images that pop into my head. And this is where it's Terrence Mann on the street. And so what is happening at this point is we have all, we've just met James Earl Jones's character, Terrence Mann, who's the reclusive writer that, uh, that Kevin Costner has got to go pick up that the voices have told him to go to go find and so they do and they take him he takes him to a baseball game and Kevin Costner sees the message on the big board and 
Terrence Mann doesn't know what he's talking about. And so he goes, takes him to drop him off. And when he does that, he drops him off. He says, sorry, I guess I didn't need you. I'm sorry to bother you. And so at that point you're like, Hey, well now he's out of the movie. And so Kevin Costner or Ray Kinsella is his character's name, turns the van around. He does a little U-turn on the street and starts pulling out. And James Earl Jones is standing right in the middle of the street. And then all he says is Moonlight Graham, which is the name of the, the person that they that magically appeared on the billboard when they were at the baseball game. So he did actually see everything happen. And that scene always just strikes me because I think it it makes this movie's mystery really solidified in a way. I want to talk a bit about the music. So the music in the scene and just the way it's filmed. So it's filmed at nighttime with the, with the street lights all kind of lit up and, and with the music that they add to it, it really adds like a dreamlike state to the, to the film at that moment. It's, it is very dreamlike and, and moody. And I, really like that and so man has been terrence man has been faking seeing this message the whole time until he got dropped off and just when ray's about to leave he makes a decision no i've got to fess up and say yes i saw it and and go all in and so i like this because up until this point ray has been hearing these voices in the field and he's in his mind, they are real. And he's seen the baseball players come out of the field. Uh, he's seen Ray Liotta and he's built this ball diamond. But up until this point, it's really just him. And so even though we're seeing everything from his perspective, it could still all just be delusion. I mean, there is, his wife does, gets, learn something in a dream at some point, but we don't see her have that dream and we don't, and it's a dream, so it's pretty nebulous as it is. But at this point, now everything that's been happening, the entire mysterious nature of the movie is real. And we as the audience can buy into that because now this second person is basically confirming that everything that has been happening is real and the movie is now going into its second stage. And so that's where we have buy-in now. And I, I like that idea of the mystery being solidified at that point. And I really feel like the, the movie kicks into a second gear at that point and really starts picking up. Interesting. Um, I like the way that you, you pointed, it's interesting. We both chose moments that are in within their respective films, sort of paradigm shifts within the story where, sure. uh, you know, it's, it's a little moment, but it actually marks a major turning point within, um, it's also interesting you highlight how I had never really thought about it but when you're like, it's not really a baseball movie in the traditional sense. It's not about a baseball team so much as it is about the concept of the sport and the ways in which the sport is um, valued in American culture, uh, which I think in a way kind of uh, proves my statement wrong earlier about how sports movies are all kind of the same, even though some yes is very sentimental. It isn't following you very, uh, I mean, the title alone, you know, it's not an ironic title. It's, you know, it's very upfront and sincere, but even in spite of that, it actually does veer off from the traditional sports movie formula. 
and rather like you with my pick i don't like this movie very much no all right no. i'm not a I'm not a, I mean, it's been years now since I've seen it. Um, I, I would have seen it just because it was, I think, on TV. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's the Best Picture nominee. And it's, you know, it's a very famous movie that people seem to really like. And I watched it and it was like, it was okay, I guess. I don't know. It didn't, I like, I think the performers are very good for what they're selected for. Kevin, something about Kevin Costner is like, he's the perfect actor to be in movies about baseball. Because I think he's done at least three of them. Yeah, at least. Uh, between this Bill Durham and uh, for the love of the game, which is the Sam Raimi one. I haven't seen it, but he made one. Um, (laughs) But, you know, and I think it's mostly like fine in terms of the filmmaking, but it just did not, did not speak to me at all in terms of the sentimentality. I think is like this too much. I'm not going to say it's not too much, (laughs) (laughs) but I think you either buy into it or you don't. Uh, Yeah. That's the way it works. with That's fair. That's fair. And I mean, I, and that's a good point with a scene like this is kind of not that the film before this is like very sort of cynical and adult and then it becomes more wondrous. It's, it's openly sentimental even before it's openly fantastical, but this being like a point of no return of like, you're either going to accept this magical realism premise and come along for the ride or this movie's not for you. And while I wouldn't say I like reject it when I see or rejected it, I should probably watch it again. Uh, rejected it in the moment. I was also like, mm, not totally for me, but I'll, I'll come along for now. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I do think that image, I, don't, I just like that image of him standing in the street and it's almost, it's like a, when you get that picture of like a nighttime street with steam mm-hmm. coming out of the vents and everything like that, I, I kind of see it like that. And all of a sudden he's there out of nowhere and the music kind of hits the right note. And, and it is really played up. Mm-hmm. like it's played up definitely but it just sticks with me and i don't know i like the tone i like the mood of the movie i think that's one of the things that wins it over for me because it's different like it mm-hmm. other movies don't really try to go for that kind of idea much um like <laughs> the premise is ridiculous <laughs> it's, it's an absolutely <laughs> ridiculous premise so when you if you try to sell somebody on that, I mean, only in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I, um, yeah, the nineties was too cool and ironic for that, and then the two the twenty first century writ large has been too miserable. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, do you think this movie had to be about baseball? In turn, like, could you do this story with like another sport? Yeah. I don't think there's a sport out there that hits the sentiment quite the same because baseball's got something different to it than the other sports, especially when you're tying it into American nostalgia and culture. Football would not work. Like there's just mm. too much going on with football that it's it doesn't have that same history. Yeah. Football's too aggressive too, I think. And I mean, I'm reminded of like Yeah that George Carlin bit about the differences between baseball and football. And he talks about, you know, football is played on a gridiron and baseball is played on a diamond in a park, (laughs) the baseball park. Um, There's something wholesome about, I guess, I mean, to put it in really reductive terms, so sorry to football fans listening. uh, Baseball represents like the purity of like the American dream and football represents the vulgar reality of it, which is maybe a little bit harsh, but I think you get what I mean. Yeah, I like that. Um, and basketball, 
there's there's definitely a sort of prestige feeling with basketball like if i think of something like hoosiers which i don't know that i'm a big fan of but it's i'm not it's, either it's definitely got a, a pretty big following as far as you know a really held up high mm-hmm. film but i don't think it has the history tied in with with america in the same way i almost wonder if basketball is too cool a sport and i by that i mean like I know basketball as a sport has existed for a long time, but the sort of prominence of basketball in modern culture seems to really be a byproduct of the nineties and like the, you know, massive stardom of Michael Jordan and, and other players as well, but primarily Jordan. And I don't know, to me, there's something like quintessentially modern about basketball. That's not prevalent in other sports. And I don't know if that's just a quirk of like the time when, you know, basketball really exploded or it's just my own biases of just thinking basketball is more interesting than a lot of the other sports uh and faster pace too i think but um i think maybe a version of field of dreams could work about hockey in a canadian context that's Um, true actually yeah i would agree with that i don't know if it would stir me specifically because again i have no i've I've no i never played on like a team or anything like that but certainly like you (laughs) know Is this heaven? No, it's Flin Flon, Manitoba. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, but you know, a certain audience would be like, damn right. Like that would be the most real (laughs) moment. Um, Yeah. Cool. Interesting pick. I'd forgotten that, you know, you were like a a field of dreams guy. Interesting. We've divided on like where we divided. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yep. I'm like horrible, depressing boxing movie. Nay, nay. Uplifting baseball, magical fantasy. <laughs> That's the clash. There we go. Cool. We got the spectrum set. Yeah, exactly. The whole range of human experience. Um, although my next pick, I think, is actually a pretty feel-good film. Although I didn't choose a feel-good moment. So probably not surprisingly, my some, other pick comes from... Sorry, go ahead. Some people would say this is the feel-good film. There's a True huge enough. segment of people who would, I think. I think, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, if you haven't guessed by now, I'm talking about Rocky, uh, which it's easy to forget how great Rocky is. Um, maybe less so now because the Creed movies seem to be really well liked. I still haven't seen the second one, but the first one's really good. And I think seems to have reminded people how uh, strong this character is and right. stir those memories of the original film. But, you know, like a lot of what Stallone did post his breakthrough, the sort of weight of the franchise kind of tarnishes the original until you go back and watch it. And you're like, wow, no, this is actually a really wonderful, small, intimate character driven movie. And yeah, it's, it's sentimental and kind of corny by the end, but it really earns it. Um, And even it's corniness is, I think is tempered by the fact that spoilers Rocky loses at the end. (laughs) I mean, he wins in the character sense because he goes the distance, but it's not a complete fantasy about, you know, if you just get one shot, you can become the richest, most successful man ever. It's about, you know, making the most of the hand you're dealt and, uh, you know, being able to find happiness even after a long stretch without it, which is, you know, quite sweet. But the moment I want to highlight is um, towards leading into the third act, the big fight between Rocky and Apollo Creed. And there's a scene where Rocky is in the arena and it's empty and he's looking around at the ring and the posters and just taking it all in. And the 
owner of the event or manager or booker, whomever, some powerful uh, figure in this uh, event, you know, comes out and starts talking to him. And Rocky says, the poster's wrong. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, the poster has me with uh, red shorts and a white stripe, but I wear white stripes or white shorts with a red stripe. And the guy says, um, it doesn't really matter, does it? I'm sure you're going to give us a great show. Now, what I like about this is that this is an honest mistake. The prop department really did make the poster with the wrong colors, and they did not have the budget to make another version. So rather than just leave it in undressed, they build this little character moment out of it, which on one level is like, I don't know, a cute little addressal of like a plot hole. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) but I think more significantly, it's actually really true to the characters and the story where, you know, this fight from Apollo's perspective and, you know, the, the characters with money, this isn't about this. They don't see Rocky as like a legitimate athlete or as any sort of contender. This is a spectacle to make some easy money and get some publicity. That's it. It's a gimmick. So they don't take him seriously. So they don't really care to get these details right. And when Rocky addresses these concerns, it's, it doesn't matter. You're going to give us a great show. You know, you're here to put on a spectacle. This isn't really about you. Um, very true to the themes of the film makes that catharsis at the end when Rocky goes the distance, all the more powerful. But the other thing I think is really crucial is wondering, well, how does Rocky feel about that? Cause Rocky is so, soft-spoken and easygoing and not one to pick fights uh ironically i suppose and you get the sense from stallone in the scene that like he doesn't quite know how to feel about it in some ways and he's a little bit hurt but he also doesn't express a lot of it and kind of keeps a lot of it internalized and there's this interesting dynamic with him in terms of like what is he to what extent is he aware of how little they value him because he doesn't express it often, but he does seem to be keenly aware. Um, and, you know, uh, how is that going to manifest? And he ends up being just sort of solemn and quiet about it. But I think it's a really fascinating way to encapsulate uh, where Rocky is in his life and to these people. Um, that also, from a filmmaking perspective, is just an amazing and inspiring example of you know, making lemonade from your lemons where you have a problem and you can't afford to solve it the easy way. So you have to get creative. Uh, I think it's pretty brilliant actually. So yeah. yeah, very simple moment, not like crucial to the film or anything. You cut it and technically not lose anything, but I also think it adds a certain richness and texture to the film. I just love that they made that out of a, a mistake. <laughs> and they're like, oh, let's just, Instead of just fix it, let's just uh, throw it in there. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. Yeah, I, man, I haven't seen Rocky in years. I really should uh, should break that out again sometime. When was the last time you've seen Rocky? Uh, I would have been an undergrad at the time, so probably like four years, maybe three, four years. I marathon like I'd seen all of the Rockies in bits and pieces before, and I'd seen I knew the first one in its entirety, but I thought. I haven't really like watched them and I watched them all as they're all on Netflix at the time. And that was a trip. <laughs> Rocky four. What a, what a film. I'll defend it to an extent. It's horrible, but it's so entertaining. Yeah. It's just crazy where that series went. <laughs> and then how to come back, like it's very much like the James Bond movies where it's like they go to a peak of ridiculousness and then really rein it in, uh, in low key character ways. Um, pretty unique franchise. Yeah. In, in that regard 
Um, but that first one, it really is like a great movie. And were it not for the sort of sequels and also Stallone, like it's, it's wild to think Stallone got an Oscar nomination for that movie. Yeah. You know, for acting, like he got one for writing as well, but for yeah. acting in the film, like to think what people thought of Sylvester Stallone at that point versus what his career became, obviously the dude was successful, but uh, there's a richness to Rocky that the original Rocky that is easy to overlook. But if you go back to it, it's, it's very much there. I was kind of amazed when I watched it uh, for that marathon because I wasn't really sure what to expect and ended up being quite emotionally invested. So yeah, next time I watch it, I'll look at that moment because I honestly would not have remembered that at all. The different colors. It's great. It's just, it's this whole little scene, this quiet little bit of banter to the point that I'm wondering, like, would there have even been any conversation without that mistake or would it have just been during the fight? There's this, you know, poster in the background, but the fact that there was a mistake allowed them to make something better from it. Yeah. So again, if you're for aspiring young filmmakers who are like very limited resources, trying to make compelling stuff, I think it's a great example of turning something from nothing. Yeah. Make it work. I really wanted Stallone to win supporting actor for Creed. I kind of oh, did too. That would have been great. My alt, like if I was giving it out, I probably would have given it to Tom Hardy for the Revenant. Um, yeah, that's true. I think he's fantastic in that. But uh, yeah, I mean, Stallone was definitely my sentimental pick because I, I got pretty misty during Creed. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, so Creed is great. Creed is really good. Uh, it's my favorite Ryan Coogler film so far. I would say so too. Yeah cool anyway okay don't got much to say about that one so i'll pass it back to you sounds good okay let's uh let's go to hockey get some hockey in here because we are canadian after all i want to talk about the opening interview in slapshot so <laughs> slapshot <laughs> that is an interesting movie have you seen it dan oh i've seen slapshot okay, it's, I, it's not since my first year of high school have i seen it <laughs> but it's it's a wonderful movie it's it's quite the film so the opening scene is it's an interview with a kind of the local sports reporter guy who who follows the team and is the does the announcing for the team and everything and the goalie of of the charlestown chiefs which is the main team and so for a while they're just sitting there in silence and you're imagining that, you know, everybody's getting ready in the background to do this interview and they're just sitting there. And then when they start, uh, so Denny Lemieux is kind of the, is the goalie and he's got the very stereotypical French Canadian thick accent. And, and so they're, the interview is about describing penalties so that people understand how hockey penalties work, which is probably an in for, the people coming to watch the movie that don't necessarily understand hockey. <laughs> and I just, the way that he, way that the goalie just goes through all the different penalties is hilarious. He's like, yeah, icing, you know, is when, uh, when the puck comes down and bang, you know, and before the other guys and <laughs> like that's his explanation. <laughs> it's so good. And then eventually it just evolves to him not saying what the penalties are, but just like, showing it on the reporters and he starts beating up the reporter basically so he shows hooking and he hooks him with the stick and spears him with his stick and like high sticking you know is when you take your stick like this <laughs> you don't do that <laughs> <laughs> and then he's oh. describing the penalty box and 
as I get, and then you, you, uh, you go off to the box, you know, for two minutes and, uh, and you feel shame. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good <laughs> bit to encapsulate it. Oh, uh, it's, it's just such a great way to start off the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's very, uh, it's very indicative of the kind of humor I think that Slapshot is going to show throughout. It's very, I want to say inside baseball, which is kind of ironic, but very inside baseball in that way that it really does get a glimpse of what the hockey culture was probably like at that point. Mm-hmm. And it gives a little uh, preview of the violence that's going to, <laughs> that the whole movie is going to devolve to <laughs> at some mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Slapshot is an interesting movie because it's when we talk about it's not a it's not a typical sports movie so we've been staying away from the typical well maybe not Rocky I think Rocky's probably got the sports formula down a little bit but it's probably uh the one exception yeah uh it's very much what you expect from like a sports movie yeah but Slapshot is it doesn't really care about being sentimental in any way shape or form nope it It spits in the face of sentimentality really it doesn't care about being politically correct it doesn't care Mm. about how rude it is or how crude it is it is its own beast yeah it's a it's it's interesting because um i think what well there's a lot of things about the scene you mentioned one i i like how you mentioned how like it's a way to introduce the rules to outsiders but it's also a way to tell outsiders, like, don't worry too much about the specifics, about the rules. Like, they don't yes. really matter for the movie. <laughs> exactly. Um, general idea of what's happening here. But also, yeah, the That's way that the point. film does fly in the face of the sentimentality of the sports movie, which in a way has made the film age even better because you'd argue that the real wave of sentimental sports movies was still to come. That's and that true. makes Slapshot all the more fresh when it uh, kind of spits in the face of that. Because um, even like towards the end, it feels like they're going to go down a more sentimental route and be like, oh, you know, the the good of the game. And then it's like, nope. <laughs> no, that changes pretty quick. <laughs> Not that kind of movie. Um, one of like a, a similar kind of moment I was thinking about, it's before, uh, and I'll have to censor myself for this gag, but it's during the anthem of one of the games and the ref, you just see keeps looking over to his side, very tense and eventually he skates over to one of the Hanson brothers who are known for their uh, rough housing on the ice and just picking fights and, you know, beating people up. And he starts giving him the gears. And at a certain point, the guy just screams back at him. I'm trying to listen to the effing song. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's that's wonderful. actually almost the point I went with too. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I'm glad we both recognize how awesome that joke is. Um, and partly because that same, I mean, one, it's 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 very funny. It's very well delivered and timed. Uh, but also, again, like this 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 is something that I find sanctimonious about sports in real life: the playing of the national anthem, and like, you know, not to demean athleticism in sports because it's extremely impressive. But it's also like people playing a game. It's not like the most important thing, and wrapping it up in like weird nationalism is weird, and it's weird how much uh, importance that culture lends to that and to spit in the face of that as well is very funny. And it's like cathartic to take that in as an audience member be like, yes, not being so like, you know, hand above your heart and take this in as a serious moment. Um, it's, it's wonderful. 
Uh, and I, I think that the way the film starts very much announces that in a really strong way. Great pick. I'm glad one of us picked this movie because I haven't seen it in long enough to really highlight a moment. So it's like, I really hope he yeah, picks it. It's been shot. a while. So I, uh, I, I got it from the library and watched it again this week. So, oh, nice. Yeah. Good yeah, movie. I, I think another thing that scene does too is it kind of, it, it definitely sets up what kind of team we're talking about here because it's very minor hockey, right? This is, this is not NHL we're talking about. It's a minor hockey league. And it's a very low, you can tell it's a very local broadcast, right? <laughs> and so it, it sets up the scene in that sense too. And this, that's all you need to know. And then you kind of know, okay, well, this is a small town hockey team. And, and that's what we're going with. And the players are going to be a little bit goofy. And there we are. And it's hilarious. It's also fun that this film, it's not a Canadian movie, but it's kind of been claimed as one in a sense. A lot of French Canadian language is used in it. A lot of the actors are Canadian. I think the Hanson brothers might actually be Canadian. I'm not sure. I think um, so. And Saskatchewan is three separate references throughout the movie. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not technically a Canadian film, but we've kind of claimed it as one of our own. And I think that's good because again, in a lot of speaking of like sanctimoniousness, and I don't know how you'll feel about this, but a lot of like, not a lot of Canadian films in general, but like the way Canada in media is often presented and often by Canada, it's very like cliche stereotype, like wholesome. We're all so nice and we have these accents and, you know, I'm not saying there's not some value to be found in that, although I found admittedly little, but I think it's, it's something really fun to see because I'm not from, you know, where the movie is set but to still recognize it as being like places i've lived and grown up in and visited and in a lot of ways it's more accurate to that and it's you know even though it's again technically not a canadian film as a canadian watching it it does feel uh in some ways like a, a more authentic canadian movie than a lot of the uh ways that were often presented which yeah. is fun no, I, I absolutely agree with you yeah Pretty much anybody who's ever played hockey has probably embraced this film at some point. <laughs> I would mm -hmm. think, yeah. And also, like, there's not one. that many hockey movies, I guess. Like, there's the Goon movies, which are basically, like, remakes of this. Um, there's Miracle, which I haven't seen. Uh, yeah. Interesting real-life story. The Mighty Ducks, yeah. <laughs> and there's two sequels, I think. Um there's the documentary about the Russian hockey team, which is really interesting, but not really a sports movie as one would conventionally define it. Yep. Uh, like there's not that many hockey films. Maybe it's, it's because of all the gear. Maybe it's because it's like a weird sport for it, you outsiders. Know what? I really think helmets are a big reason for that. And yeah. I think that's why there's not that many. I mean, there's, there are lots of football movies, but when we're looking at ba baseball versus and basketball versus mm -hmm. hockey and football, there's a huge number of beloved baseball, basketball movies. And honestly, I think it's the helmets. I think it's because you see the people. I think there's yeah. a, there's a big factor to that. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, I think that's actually really true. I mean, the, uh, the gear gets in the way as it were, and it's a really simple thing, but it's also a really functional thing. And especially for team sports movies where you have like multiple characters you're supposed to care about. It's much more difficult to keep track of all of them when they're covered from head to right. toe in in their stuff and so. slapshot gets around that because they're set in the 70s where the 
which is this is ridiculous to me but at some point right you had to wear helmets so they they initiated the helmet rule Mm -hmm. but they grandfathered that rule in so if you had started playing before that you didn't Mm -hmm. have to wear helmets and so you had this weird mix of period where like Mm -hmm. some of the players are wearing helmets and some aren't which in Truly retrospect is insane. <laughs> the <laughs> most insane thing, especially because hockey, there's so many moving pieces that it's like, that is absurdly dangerous. Yeah. Like, oh, uh, sorry, are we running on a field? No, no, no. We are moving on blades on ice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> at very yeah. high speeds, big dudes crashing into each other. I know, yeah, the sport is almost more famous in some ways for when people get into it and start punching each other in the face. <laughs> oh good old hockey what a what a sport which is also there's an irony there too maybe that that's like canada's sport and it's like they're so nice and it's like it's a sport that's defined in a lot of ways and like not defined but i don't know there's reputation let's say for uh and how much of that reputation comes from this movie do you think it's a good question there's chicken and the egg thing too like because like did the was the film speaking to known stereotypes about the sport at the time at the at the time yeah it was pretty brutal like the philadelphia flyers were pretty Mm -hmm. well known for being like brutes right i I believe they were part of the jury when homer simpson was on trial with the devil (laughs) 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 along with a not quite dead yet richard nixon damn it nixon i did a favor for you (laughs) oh boy that's the real podcast dan and ian quote their favorite simpsons jokes There we go. Each episode will be seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Well, Great there we pick. go. We covered, uh, well, three four sports out of the however many there are. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't go with Bend It Like Beckham or Space Jam. So sorry to anybody else who's looking forward to that. Have not seen Bend It Like Beckham. Have seen Space Jam. It's not good. Um, and I'm part of the generation that thinks it's good. It's really not. <laughs> it's not funny. I did consider going Cool Runnings, but that'll have to wait it's funny i mentioned to my girlfriend that i was doing this topic and she asked me if i was doing something with cool runnings and i had to admit that i've never seen cool runnings yeah i i would be interested to see what you think because it might be a it might be a field of dream situation where you kind of had to be at that time maybe i'm also older now i don't think i was like consciously like an edgelord or anything like that but i might have been more (laughs) like i'm too cool for this uh, now I realize I'm not too cool for anything. So I, I might be more attuned to each film's rhythms. And it does so. have John Candy. So that, that's a big plus. That's true. I love him. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for listening to our very professional, very expert sports movie episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been Ian. I'm Daniel. And thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>